This Week with George Stephanopoulos starts right now. Scathing reports. These assertions are not only misleading, they're just plain wrong. The special counsel clears President Biden over his handling of classified documents, but raises concerns about his age and mental fitness. The White House fires back. The comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate, and inappropriate. As the Supreme Court casts doubt on efforts to keep Donald Trump off the ballot over his actions on January 6th. I'm a believer in our country, and I'm a believer in the Supreme Court. This morning, all the fallout and what it means for the 2024 race. Our legal experts, Preet Bharara and Sarah Isger, weigh in. Biden ally Senator Chris Coons, Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, join us live. Plus, analysis from our powerhouse roundtable. And one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to let Hamas emerge victorious. After President Biden's sharpest criticism of Israel yet, we're one-on-one -on -one with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. From ABC News, it's This Week. Here now, Jonathan Carl. Good morning. Welcome to This Week. Today, we'll bring you my interview with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, his first on American television in months, coming on the heels of the strongest rebuke yet from President Biden of Israel's conduct in Gaza. But we begin with this week's extraordinary political developments. If you could distill the 2024 campaign to its essence, Thursday may have captured it in a matter of hours, with former President Trump's fate deliberated in a courtroom and President Biden facing new questions about his age and whether he's up for another term. For Trump, it was a good day, as the Supreme Court, liberal and conservative justices expressed skepticism of Colorado's efforts to remove him from the ballot because of his actions on January 6th. For Biden, there was some positive news as well, as the special counsel investigating his handling of classified documents declined to prosecute him, saying there wasn't evidence sufficient for a conviction and making it clear that Trump's transgressions when it comes to classified documents were significantly worse than Biden's. But the special counsel's report was quite critical of the president. It included photos of classified documents stored in cardboard boxes in Biden's Delaware garage, alongside a treadmill and a rocking chair. And some of the language in the report was devastating, painting a portrait of the president as, quote, a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. The most damaging details on page 208, saying, quote, he did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended, and forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began. He did not remember, even within several years, when his son Bo died. That drew this sharp rebuke from President Biden Thursday night. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away. The president also lashed out at the press for asking about the special counsel's assessment. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. Many American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your is judgment. That is not the judgment concerns. of the press. But questions about Biden's age are a real concern repeatedly expressed by voters. 
Our new ABC News Ipsos poll this morning shows that a total of 86% of Americans say that Joe Biden is too old for another term, compared to 62% who say the same about Donald Trump. We'll have much more on the politics of it all in a moment, but we begin with our expert legal panel. Sarah Isger is the former spokesperson for the Justice Department during the Trump administration and is now a senior editor at The Dispatch. Preet Bharara is the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. So, Preet, let, let me start with you. We, we, you heard that uh, the special counsel uh, found that President Biden willfully retained classified documents. It was quite critical to say the least, but a decline, uh, you know, they declined to prosecute. Was, the right, was it the right call? Yeah, uh, this, the second part is the right call. Um, it's a lengthy report. He was appointed by, <clears throat> by Merrick Garland by the president's own attorney general. Um, thorough, exhaustive investigation. And the, bo <clears throat> the bottom line and the top line is there's no case here. Case closed, case over. What I don't think is correct, and I think the vast majority of legal experts agree with me on this, is gratuitous, superfluous statements about his memory, not as it relates to the particular case or the facts relating to the handling of the classified documents, <clears throat> but as it relates to other things, um, including memory about the particular date and precise date of his son's death. That had no place in this document. It makes no sense for that to be in this document. In a context in which you appoint a special counsel to be above politics and away from politics, he's provided political grist to the opponents of Joe Biden as a matter of politics. It's, it's a weird landscape we're in where Donald Trump gets credibly charged in four charging documents, four indictments around the country, and that's a political boon for him. And Joe Biden, on the other hand, this week gets exonerated in a document, and it's a political nightmare for him. Something is upside down. Sarah? Look, as you said, they found evidence that he willfully retained national security information, and even probably beyond a reasonable doubt. But the justice manual says that that's not enough, even if you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to believe as the prosecutor that you can get a conviction from a jury. So why that information was included was because he's explaining to the attorney general in that report why he believes a jury would not convict Joe Biden, even if they could probably prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. But how does him allegedly not knowing the year his son died, how is that relevant? Because the mental state that's required. It has to be willful, right? So they found evidence that he knew there were classified documents in his basement, for instance. But if he can tell a jury, like, yeah, I guess I knew that day, but then I forgot the next day, well, then he didn't willfully retain the classified documents. So uh, the, the, obviously there's audio tape. These are two interviews, interviews, an interview over two days, five hours with the special counsel that he's basing this faulty memory, saying he didn't know exactly when he was vice president, when his term ended, when it started. Sarah, what, what are the odds that we're actually gonna hear that audio tape? Not just see the transcript, see the transcript and hear the audio tape. I think it's pretty high. Congress is obviously gonna subpoena this, the Republican uh, House, certainly. The Department of Justice may try to refuse to comply with that subpoena. Generally, that will go to an accommodation process in the courts. It could drag on a long time, but the Biden White House is gonna to have to think carefully. Would you rather it drag on a long time and then turn over the tapes, or would you rather so turn the, them over now? Have the tapes come out in the middle of the fall campaign, maybe, or right, right. before the conventions. Uh, Preet, I wanna play you what Vice President Harris had to say about all this. The way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts, and clearly politically motivated. Gratuitous. Is that a good look for the Vice President of the United States to be attacking a prosecutor as being politically motivated? 
you know, I, I don't know. What, what I do know is he could have accomplished everything he needed to accomplish under his mandate, under his remit, um, upholding his oath by talking generally about the kinds of things that Joe Biden's memory was lacking on with respect to the investigation at hand, right? If he had removed a few of those sentences, changed the tone a little bit, um, he would have done exactly what Sarah says he needed to do, which is show the, the, the difficulty in proving willfulness and mental state, the problematic nature of pr- trying to prove this beyond a reasonable doubt to a unanimous jury. He could have done all of that without some of this nonsense that was in the report. But we've been hearing Trump over and over again, witch hunt, witch hunt. He always attacks prosecutors. I mean, it just... Look, is that what you want to hear out of the body? I was attacked on many occasions. Yes, as a former <laughs> prosecutor. When you, when you investigate and prosecute people, and yes. sometimes even when you exonerate them, um, you don't get sent flowers, right? So it's, it's part of the game. Um, she, has, she has a political role here. She's not a prosecutor anymore. She's the vice president and running mate of the sitting president of the United States, who has suffered a great political fallout from some of these sentences in that report over the past weekend. So I'm, I'm not going to judge her. Uh, I'm not going to judge okay. the former president, the current president either. So, so, and, and then quickly, we had obviously the Supreme Court uh, oral arguments. Sarah, as our resident Supreme Court whisperer, I think the, the New Yorker says that they listen to your podcast. Uh, what was your sense listening? It seems clearly the Supreme Court is not going to allow Colorado to take Trump off the ballot. Yeah, Colorado is going to lose this case. Donald Trump will be on the ballot. The questions remaining are what the vote is going to be and what the reasoning is going to be. It looks like we're going to have seven, eight votes potentially, and they're going to say that a state doesn't get to do this. And immunity is going to be the next thing up. Yeah, I think the court will take it up. Um, and I think this is not going to go as well for the Trump folks. So could we see two lopsided opinions, one against Trump, one for Trump? That's exactly And maybe the country looking see. at the court and saying, ah, it's not all political, <laughs> not political after, after all. all. I, don't know if they'll, I don't know if they'll say that, but I think your, your uh, prediction about what's going to happen is correct. No, instead, both sides will just say they hate the court. <laughs> all right. Preet, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. When President Biden spoke on Thursday night, he defended his memory and his bid for re-election. Your memory has gotten worse, Mr. President. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. I'm joined now by Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, a co-chair of the Biden-Harris campaign's National Advisory Board. Senator Coons, let's get right to the question raised in this report of age. Uh, you heard the special counsel with that line, which will reverberate through this campaign, that the president is a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. The president disputes this. Are we going to hear the audio tapes of these interviews that it's based on? I mean, should the White House... Jonathan, I I don't know what the White House will or won't disclose, but here's what I know of the president I work with and alongside whom I serve. When I came back from the Middle East with a bipartisan group of 10 senators, we went to Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Israel. I thought the president might have us over to the White House for 15, 20 minutes. He had us in at 7 o'clock at night. We sat down with his national security team, and for two and a half hours... He went around the table and asked for our insights and our input, and then he led a masterful conversation about the challenges to our security, the pathway to peace, the difficulties with Iran and with its proxies. And as we walked out two and a half hours later from the White House, I turned to one of my Republican colleagues who is not publicly a big fan of the president. And I said, what did you think? And he said, that's incredible. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on in the Middle East and around the world. And as he said in his press conference, 
We should be focused on two things. The outcome of this report, he was cleared completely, while Donald Trump faces 40 federal felony charges for obstruction of justice and refusing to protect our national secrets. And President Biden is accomplishing remarkable things for our country. Uh, and I hear similar things from people who spent a lot of time with Biden recently, just like you said. And by the way, we're going to hear from Bibi Netanyahu yeah, later, later in the show. And, he and he's had interactions, and, 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 and we'll, you'll see what he says. But let's look at what happened when he came out. Public perception is what's important here in a, in a campaign. Let's take a look at what happened when he came out Thursday night to defend himself on this and to insist that his memory is just fine and he's fit. But look at what happened. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I mean, he's holding a press conference to push back against this yeah. notion that his memory's gone, and he's confusing the president of Egypt with the president. Right. Jonathan, of, you've of been Mexico. at this a long time. As you well know, small gaffes are a part of what all of us in public life do. Speaker Johnson of the House just confused Iran and Israel. He said, we are beginning to send aid to Iran. Donald Trump confused Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley. Here's what matters, not the occasional small gaffe. He had a 12-minute press conference where he was focused, engaged, purposeful, and all you're focused on is that one minute at the well, end. Well, that's, that's, that's not, not what distinguishes that's, him that, that's not from exactly, his opponent. That's not exactly fair. And, and I will uh, concede there are many moments, and we have, Lord knows, talked about them, where Donald Trump seems wildly confused about a lot of things. Uh, but, 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 but untruthful, but, and but, alarming but, in the things he said. And, and we've focused on all of that. But this was not just one moment in the 12-minute press conference. I mean, take a look at what we saw uh, uh, just recently, a handful of other events. T take a look, a few more. There's been a response from the, uh, the, the, there's been a response from the opposition, but um, it, it, yes, I'm sorry, from Hamas. I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me. I mean, you know, Mitterrand, whether he's from Germany or France, he obviously he's from France, but he's been dead for 25 years. I mean, there are a number of these incidents, and, and, they, and they may be gas. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But this is what the American public is seeing, and it's raised concerns. Our poll shows over 80% uh, responding, saying that they think that Biden is too old to serve as president again. And Jonathan, if press coverage focuses relentlessly on things that don't represent Joe Biden's real body of work, you can push towards that kind of result. That poll should have been about who's actually working to secure our border. Joe Biden, who's well, worked across the aisle for months with a bipartisan group in the Senate, or Donald Trump, who is willfully killing the bipartisan border deal in the Senate, not because he wants to secure America, but to secure his own reelection. What that poll could have been about is who understands that our alliances keep us safer? Joe Biden, who's led 50 countries to come to the defense of Ukraine, or Donald Trump, who alarmingly last night bragged about a story where he claims he threatened a NATO ally to throw them to the Russian wolves if they didn't pay up. NATO isn't a protection racket. But it is a security alliance. So the substance, the difference, Joe Biden and Donald Trump and most elected officials make small gaffes just like the ones you just showed. That's not what matters. We are in a fight for the soul of our nation, and the idea that somehow 
Joe Biden forgot the date of his son's death is offensive and appalling. And what you should be focused on, in my view, what that poll should have focused on, what our nation well, should but, focus but, but, on, can I, can I stop is the way that though, because... Donald Trump is undermining rule of law, democracy, and our safety as a nation. But, but we, we do have polling on, on the issues you're discussing, and the yes. polling shows widespread disapproval of how President Biden has handled the border, and also uh, the, the, the uh, foreign policy. I mean, despite so what you're saying. Let, let's take that border issue, okay? After months of coverage about, you know, disaster at the border, Joe Biden and a bipartisan group in the Senate did what the Senate is supposed to do. Negotiated, 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 came to a tough deal. James Lankford, the most conservative adult human I'm friends with, worked his heart out with Senators Murphy and Cinema. We finally had a deal. And Trump And why is it dead? Trump tanked it. He picked up the phone and killed the so bill be, for his own reelection. Be, be, before you go, I want to play you something that President Biden said back in March of 2020, uh, right going into the Michigan primary, about, about what his term as president would be and what the future would be. Take a listen. I view myself as a bridge, not as anything else. There's an entire generation of leaders you saw stand behind me. They are the future of this country. So... I've spoken to some of the leaders that were behind him who have privately said that they took that as basically a promise. He was going to serve one term and he was going to be a bridge to the next leadership of, of Democrats. Why hasn't that happened? And should that, should that happen? Joe Biden ran to restore the soul of our nation and frankly, to make sure that Donald Trump was not reelected. Donald Trump is again going to be the candidate of the Republican Party. Joe Biden is the one Democrat who has beaten him who can beat him and who will beat him. And if you look hard at his record of protecting our veterans, of making our country safer, of passing big bipartisan bills, 15 million jobs created, restoring manufacturing, the stock market at an all-time high, unemployment at a record low, his record is strong and deserves re-election. All right, Senator Coons, thank you for joining us thank this you, morning. I really appreciate it. Up next, President Biden calls Israel's response in Gaza, quote, over the top. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel joins us for his first interview with an American news network in nearly three months. We're back in two minutes. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response In Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been um, over the top. That was President Biden on Thursday night with his sharpest criticism yet of Israel's military response in Gaza. I am joined now by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. 
Mr. Prime Minister, let me ask you right away, what, what's your response to President Biden saying that your response in Gaza has been over the top? Well, I appreciate President Biden's support for Israel since the beginning of the war. Uh, I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but put yourself in Israel's shoes. Uh, we were attacked, unprovoked attack, murderous attack on October 7th, the worst attack on Jewish people since the Holocaust. And let me tell you, uh, I think we've responded uh, in a way that goes after the terrorists and tries to minimize the civilian population in which the terrorists embed themselves and use them as human shields. We dropped thousands of flyers. We phoned Palestinians in their homes. We asked them to leave. We give them safe corridors and safe zones. So I think we're, we're doing the right thing. And now, let me tell you one other thing. We're going to win this thing. Victory is within reach. But you've had more than 28,000 people killed, according to the uh, Ministry of Health in Gaza. Uh, you've had hundreds of thousands that have been forced from their homes. You have a lack of water, a lack of food. Don't you feel a moral obligation to do more, to do something to protect uh, what is seen as a, to, to stop what is seen as a catastrophe? I think that any civilian uh, loss, any civilian casualty is a tragedy. Uh, and it's a tragedy that is forced upon us by Hamas. But let me tell you something. I'd be cautious with the Hamas uh, statistics. And I can tell you that uh, according to these uh, urban warfare experts and other commentators, uh, we've brought down the civilian to terrorist casualties, the ratio, down below one to one, which is uh, considerably less than in any other theater of similar uh, warfare. And we're going to do more. We're going to Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're, you're saying it's only been one civilian that's been killed for one Hamas terrorist? In Gaza? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. We've killed, uh, uh, we've killed and wounded over 20,000 uh, uh, Hamas terrorists. Out of that, about 12,000 uh, uh, 12, uh, fighters. And we're doing everything we can to minimize civilian casualties and continue to do so. But one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to let Hamas emerge victorious. And if we leave, it'll be a tremendous victory for the Iran terror axis. It's bad for everyone. Yeah, you've directed the Israeli Defense Forces to evacuate uh, Rafah in advance of this ground invasion. W where are those people supposed to go? This is 1.4 million people, many of whom have fled uh, northern Gaza. I mean, they're living in tents. Where are these people supposed to go? Well, Rafah is a, is a very small percentage of uh, Gaza, and I think it's about 10 percent or 15 percent. I mean, the estimates... Uh, the area north of Gaza that has already been cleared. Well, there's, there's an estimated 1.4 million people in that area right now. And, and as the, as the Germ, German exactly. foreign minister That's said, right. they, can't, they, can't, they can't just disappear. Where are they supposed to go? No, well, the, the areas that we've cleared north of Rafah are uh, plenty of areas there. But uh, we are working out a detailed plan to do so. And that's what we've done up to now. We're not, uh, uh, we're not cavalier about this. This is part of our war effort to get civilians out of harm's way. It's part of Hamas's effort to keep them in harm's way. But we've so far succeeded, and we're going to succeed again. Those who say that under no circumstances should we enter Rafah are basically saying, lose the war, keep Hamas there. And Hamas has promised to do the October 7th massacre over and over and over again. But the Biden administration says it will be a disaster if you go into Rafah in this way. And it's not just uh, the Biden administration, it's your, it's your allies in the region. I mean, we, we've heard uh, from the Egyptian foreign minister that it would be a disaster, uh, disastrous consequences. The UAE is warning of exasperating uh, the, the, uh, the catastrophe, the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. I mean, aren't you, uh, is any of this giving you second thought about going in and doing this? The answer is, John, they don't have to give me second thoughts about 
uh, taking care of the civilian population, uh, along with the, the provision of uh, the necessary humanitarian aid. We've been doing it, and I've been directing it systematically. Victory is within reach. It has to be understood. And victory will be the best thing that will happen, not only for Israel, but for the Palestinians themselves. I can't see a future for the Palestinians or for peace in the Middle East if Hamas is victorious. You've defined victory, and you said the war will not end until Hamas is completely eliminated. How are you going to know when that is? How do you know when Hamas is completely eliminated? When you uh, eliminate their uh, organized fighting formations, and as I've said, we've taken 18 out of their 24 terrorist battalions out of commission, uh, you're mopping up the remaining uh, individual terrorists. Uh, and when you re uh, release the hostages, of course, and ensure that Hamas, uh, that uh, Gaza is no longer a threat to Israel, you don't have to kill every last terrorist. You didn't have to kill every last ISIS terrorist. But you made sure that, uh, uh, that ISIS was finished as a military force. You have to dismantle Hamas as a military, uh, a military force that controls territory. We're well in, within reach, and we shouldn't stop. Well, you can kill them as a military force, but how do you kill the idea of a resistance as long as there is occupation? At the end of this process, after this is done, after you've eliminated the military threat, doesn't there need to be a Palestinian state? Uh, everybody who talks about a two-state solution, well, I ask, what do you mean by that? Should the Palestinians have an army? Should they have a, a, can they sign a military pact with Iran? Can they import uh, rockets from North Korea and other deadly weapons? Should they continue to educate their children for terrorism and annihilation? Of course you'd say, of course not. And the substance I've always said in a future peace agreement, which everybody agrees is far off, I think the Palestinians should have the powers to govern themselves, but none of the powers to threaten Israel. And the most important power that has to remain in Israel's hands is overriding security control in the area west of the Jordan. That includes Gaza. Otherwise, history has shown terrorism comes back, and we don't want terrorism to come back. I want to ask you about the hostages. Uh, the relatives of the hostages have written a, a letter to your cabinet saying, quote, the family's request to immediately meet with the members of the cabinet and hear if it is still committed to the release of the abductees or whether the power to run negotiations should be transferred to a party that sees itself as committed to saving their lives. So let, let me understand your priorities. What is the higher priority at this moment? Totally eliminating Hamas or saving the lives of those hostages and getting them freed? They're not mutually exclusive. The reason we succeeded in uh, getting 110 hostages out, that's half the hostages, is because we applied military pressure, not because we stopped applying them, but because we applied it. Look, I think the families of the hostages are in a terrible bind. I mean, it's, uh, it just tears your heart out to listen to them and to think about what their uh, relatives are going through. I'm committed to getting them out. We'll make every effort. Uh, it requires pressure, and pressure has worked, and pressure will work again. How many of the 132 hostages do you think are still alive? I think uh, enough to warrant the kind of efforts that we're doing, uh, and we're, we're going to try to do our best to get all those who are alive back, and frankly, also the bodies of the dead. Uh, but I won't go into that right now. I'm not sure that anybody can put themselves in the position of the families but neither can the families put themselves in the position of the decision makers. Uh, it, these are two separate things. Uh, they reach our heart, they reach my heart, but I'm also responsible for the safety and the security of the people of Israel and to make sure that these terrorist outrages 
and these kidnappings uh, do not happen again. Finally, before you go, I'm sure you saw uh, this week the special counsel uh, here in the United States described uh, President Biden as an elderly man with a poor memory. You've known Joe Biden for decades, and you've dealt with him a lot uh, over the course of this conflict. What's your, what's your assessment of him? Well, John, I've had more than a dozen phone conversations, extended phone conversations with President Biden. He also came on a visit to Israel during wartime, which is a historic first. Uh, and I found him very clear uh, and very focused. We uh, uh, managed to agree on the war aims and on many things. Sometimes we had disagreements, but they weren't born of a, a lack of understanding on his part or on my part. Uh, so uh, that's what I can tell you. Uh, so I, I, I haven't seen that. All right. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, thank you for joining us here on This Week. Thank you. Thank you, John. Coming up, Republican Governor Brian Kemp with a new warning about the direction of his party. We'll be right back. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. This election should be about results, not personalities. It should be about the future of our country, not a race to the bottom. Voters know they don't like Joe Biden and his complete lack of leadership. But it's also pretty clear they aren't sold on what Republicans will do if they win this November. To win, Republicans have to give voters a reason to vote for us, not just oppose the other side. That was Georgia Governor Brian Kemp weighing in on the 2024 race on Saturday. He joins us now, Governor Kemp. Welcome to this week. So I want to start right there. You you said that it's pretty clear that voters aren't sold on what Republicans will do if they win in November. Can you elaborate on that? What what are you referring to? Well, I just think at any level, whether it's the presidential race, people that are running for the United States Senate, Congress, local races, I think there's been a lot of frustration out there amongst the American people of politicians trying to destroy the other side versus telling people why you should vote for us. And this is a message that I've had since I spoke to the RNC donor retreat in Nashville many months ago, uh, warning our party and our leaders and people running for president. We got to tell people what we're for. We got to stay focused 
on the future. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, I believe that the voters that are going to decide this presidential election are tired of hearing about the 2020 election and want to focus on what candidates are going to do for them in the months and years ahead. Well, there's, there's one individual who has been relentlessly obsessed with the 2020 election and insisting falsely that it was stolen, and that's Donald Trump. I mean, do you see that changing? I mean, is Trump the problem there? Well, look, I'm, I'm just giving my advice for somebody that's in a, you know, a slightly red state now. Some people say it's purple, but we showed in the 2022 election, if you run on issues and your record and tell people what you're going to do for them in the future, you can be very successful. Uh, but like past elections in Georgia, if you're focused in the rearview mirror, that's not going to turn out very well for you. So, you know, candidates can take my advice or not. Uh, that's just the way I feel. I think that's the way Georgia voters feel. They want somebody to do something about 40-year high inflation. They want somebody to do something about the border. They're tired of people trying to pass a buck and blaming somebody else. They want leadership. They want leadership when you look at crises around the world. And I think that's what the people are looking for. So uh, let me ask you, I know you were on the border. You were with Governor Abbott and several other Republican governors. You've been very critical uh, of, of President Biden's handling of the border. I mean, a lot of voters are as well. But what did you make of the way the Republicans imploded in, in Congress that, uh, on this question of the, of the bill that, that Senator Langford had negotiated, endorsed by the, uh, the, 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 the union, uh, the, the Border Patrol Union? I mean, was that a mistake for Republicans to, to tank something that at least, at least according to the people that are on the border, guarding the border, thought would have been a good step? Well, it was not a very productive week in Washington, D.C., whether it's for the Congress or for the president. And I think that's what frustrates people uh, when you look around the country. And it's why, you know, I talked yesterday about what Republican governors are doing and showing leadership on issues and getting things done. You know, I think people in D.C. ought to be voting on policy, not what somebody's telling them what to do. That's just my personal opinion. I'll let, you know, each of the senators and the representatives speak to that. But I also think that for President Biden trying to pass a buck and blame Republicans now about the issue at the border uh, is just a simple lack of leadership. You know, over a year ago, I was at the World Economic Forum with Senator Coombs, Manchin, and Cinema, and I told them they were talking about passing a bipartisan uh, immigration reform bill. And I said, look, while you're working on this, and by the way, people have been working on this for the last 10 or 20 years, just secure the dang border. That's what the people want. The governors are willing to help in those efforts. You can see how successful it has been with what Greg Abbott's done in Texas. But look, we can't just secure one state's border. We got to secure the whole southern border, and it takes the president to do that. He could do that or start doing that today and quit passing the buck on, you know, some legislation that, you know, that didn't pass this week when we've been dealing with this issue for years now. And, and I would remind people across the country, Joe Biden and the Democrats controlled every branch of the, you know, the legislative and the executive branch from 2020 to 2022 and did nothing on this issue when Republican governors were begging them to, to act. So, so let me ask you, on the 2024 race, uh, you're seeing a lot of Republicans all kind of stampeding towards Trump now, endorsing him and telling Nikki Haley to get out of the race what, what, what's your ascension? What, what, what's your sense? Do you think she still has a chance? I mean, not many people have voted yet. Uh, two, well, two small states, three, I guess, Nevada. Uh, uh, but, but not many people have voted yet. 
Well, I, look, I'm glad that the, the RNC and whoever was leading the coup up there to, you know, uh, just appoint somebody to be our nominee didn't go through with that. I think you need to let the process play out. I think voters want to have their say. Uh, at the end of the day, that's the way the process started and it's the way it should end. And so, you know, if I was the Trump campaign, you know, I would be pushing to get Nikki Haley out. Uh, if, if I was Governor Haley, I'd be, you know, if she feels strongly about what she's doing and uh, the message that she's bringing to the American people, then I would encourage her to keep fighting. I mean, that's the way the process is. I think to circumvent that uh, will only make people mad and make it harder for people to come together at the end of the day and find somebody that can beat Joe Biden, because that is something that most Americans agree on, that he is asleep at the wheel and we need a change in the White House. Just last night, uh, Donald Trump suggested uh, that Nikki Haley's husband is not on the campaign trail because she wants to be away from Ridiculous. He's on a military deployment overseas. I mean, what do you make of that? He's basically mocking somebody's military service. Well, I, I'll let him answer that question. I can tell you in the state of Jordan, from my perspective, we are so proud of our men and women in the military. We're going to welcome uh, one of our fallen today, Sergeant uh, William Rivers, back to the state, and we'll honor his life and his service. He was killed in the drone attack uh, just a few days ago. Just, just tragic. Uh, but we appreciate our heroes in Georgia, and, uh, and I think it's unfortunate for anybody to be criticizing our men and women serving overseas, regardless of whether they're at the, you know, overseas fighting a battle or, or on the border doing the same. We should all honor that sacrifice. Quickly before you go, I want to also ask you about this question of absolute immunity. Donald Trump is saying that a president should have absolute immunity for actions taken while in office. Do you agree with that? Most Americans don't. Well, my, my personal opinion is no one is a, above the law. Uh, you know, I've continued to talk about following the law and the Constitution. That's what I'm going to continue to do in the great state of Georgia. Okay. Brian Kemp, thank you very much for joining us on this week. The roundtable's up next. Nikki Haley fights back after Donald Trump mocks her husband's absence from the campaign trail while he's serving on a military deployment overseas. The latest on the 2024 race. We're back in a moment. Donald Trump lost immunity. Republicans lost a vote on the border. Republicans lost a vote on Israel. Republicans fired their party chair. And basically, you look at that, Donald Trump had his fingers on all of that. And everything that he has done from the rants to talking about revenge after New Hampshire to everything in between, it is total chaos. That's Nikki Haley on the campaign trail in South Carolina. Let's bring in the Powerhouse Roundtable, former DNC chair Donna Brazile former RNC chair and Trump White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus, ABC News political director Rick Klein, and Politico Playbook co-author Rachel Bade. Uh, so, Rick, despite that litany from Nikki Haley about all the Republican defeats this week, and there were a lot of, there were a lot of problems for Republicans this week, this is also a week where Donald Trump showed yet again total dominance over the Republican Party. This is his party. It is, and this would seem like a perfect moment for Nikki Haley to make the case, except she's got two weeks to make that case in South Carolina. It doesn't like it looks going anywhere. Super Tuesday right after that. He is in control of his party in a way that Joe Biden, frankly, has struggled to be at times. And I think all of this is, is a reminder of something fundamental to the race that I've heard from one Democratic strategist just in the last couple of days who said, look, we've always known this to be the case. If this election's about Joe Biden, this Democrat said, we lose. If it's about Donald Trump, 
That's how we win. So they need that, that kind of refocus of the campaign. And their hope, among some Democrats at least, is that the Bob Herr report was a wake-up call. The problem is a lot of people heard of this as a 10-alarm fire instead. And, and then you, what do you do about it? So the Democrats are in a very tough spot here, but they want this campaign to continue to focus Trump, Trump, Trump. Well, we'll, we'll get to, uh, to her and Biden in a moment, but, but, but Rachel, you also, you heard from Brian Kemp, and that was an interesting interview to me, a prominent, very conservative Republican governor, popular Republican governor, reelected in 2022, a year where a lot of Republicans lost. And he doesn't shy from, away from criticizing Donald Trump. He seems to be pointing to a different direction, but why is he such an outlier? Yeah, I mean, clearly Donald Trump, what he says goes these days. I mean, we saw that on Capitol Hill. Um, and I think, you know, beyond Brian Kemp, we look at Mitch McConnell and sort of Mitch McConnell really wanting this border deal to go through in recent days, encouraging his conference uh, to support it. And not even his own leadership team lined up behind him to do that. Uh, Donald Trump wanted to kill it because he didn't want to give Joe Biden a win. That's ultimately what ended up happening. I mean, so clearly, you know, as Rick was just saying, what the president, former president says, what he wants is, ended, is going right now. So. I, I, I had uh, Steve Bannon said to me this week, look what we've done in a few months. We got rid of McCarthy, <laughs> got rid of McDaniel. We're getting rid of McConnell. Um, I mean, in reality, McConnell can't be removed as leader, but right. he's effectively not the leader. Yeah, I think the past few days have really shown that his influence has very much waned. I mean, he used to be a leader sort of known for being able to, to control, not control his conference, but he had a lot of influence on them. He could sort of shepherd them to, to go in a direction of his choosing. And clearly we're seeing that, uh, that fade. And not only that, but his critics, People like uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Mike Lee, who are calling for him to step aside, they're becoming even more vocal. Um, and then you, you see, again, the difference between McConnell and Trump, uh, who have totally different visions for the party, haven't spoken since before January 6th, and increasingly it is becoming clear that if Trump is elected to the White House, there's no place for McConnell in terms of leadership. A lot of people are saying this behind the scenes. So, Reince, this former president who left the second impeachment an insurrection on Capitol Hill just last night is talking about how uh, he would encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want uh, with a NATO country, wouldn't defend a NATO country, that NATO country hadn't paid dues. Don't know exactly what he means there. But are you comfortable with this total takeover of Trump? Well, I think the reality is um, Trump is completely uh, the biggest voice, the most powerful voice in the Republican Party. Uh, putting the party aside, it was the, probably the best week for Donald Trump in, in the 2024 cycle. Isn't that Obviously, an amazing statement, putting the party aside? Well, it was the because Trump is, is such a dominant figure. And if you compare that with, with Joe Biden in your poll, but what's stunning about that is that three quarters of actual Democrats said that he was too old. You know, it, it, what, 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 why that speaks to me is that the, the stronghold that Trump has on the Republican Party is nothing near where... Where, where Joe Biden is. So the court said, you know, Trump is probably not going to be kicked off the ballot. He wins all the delegates in Nevada. Nikki Haley loses to none of the above. And then the catastrophic report by the DOJ that codified the fact that even though Biden committed a felony and willful retention of documents, he's mentally incapable 
of surviving a trial. Therefore, we're not going to actually move forward. I mean, it wasn't mentally incapable I mean, of surviving a trial. It was that the jury well, would find him. He's mentally incapable. He doesn't have the mental was, capacity. Well, I mean, first of, of the all, United States. And, and, and that is That's, why many Democrats basically call, called it political and judicial and legal malpractice, because he was... The, the special counsel was more interested in scoring what appears to be scoring political points than making legal arguments. Donald Trump has been indicted on 40 felony counts of obstruction of justice and willful retention of national defense uh, uh, information. That's 40 counts just on one of the four just, indictments, Just on by one, the way. Yes, one of okay. the four indictments. But, you know, I want to I address this age issue because Mark Twain mm -hmm. said it best. Age is, is mind over matter. Uh, and if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. It matters to the American people. I'm not going to sit here and try to challenge the polls, because if you poll people in my house, even on Mardi Gras weekend, I had to wear my colors, <laughs> uh, they would also say age is an issue. But you know what else is an issue? The wisdom, the experience. Will Joe Biden get it right every day, every time, every interview? He's going to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. But at the same time, the American people will have a choice. A choice between a candidate who is putting the national interest ahead of his special interest, a candidate who is getting us uh, out of this, this, this terrible economy that we had following four years of Donald Trump, a candidate who is putting the American people, the middle class, front and center. And I'm not, not going to be a Democrat that runs away from Joe Biden simply because he's older than me. I want to embrace what he's trying to do to help the American people, and I think that's where we're going to take this election. Well, I'll give you a quote. My mom, I, I got a quote from my mom. The older you get, the more important it is not to act your age. And the problem Joe Biden's got is that he is acting his age, if not older. There, you know, if, if he wasn't running for president, we would be uncomfortable actually talking about his mental uh, capability, because it would be bordering on being rude and insensitive. Can we can we talk? Can we, can we talk about Donald Trump of the United and will he States? ever he is age? president of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> he's running for and president. He's losing he's, everywhere. He's no, he's not. He's oh, running oh, okay. for president. He's not losing in California, New York. Oh, okay, come fine. on, come on. You, you, are you judging by what the polls say today? Well, that's all or I can do. What the polls, the people who actually get out and vote. Joe Biden has won every contest thus far. He has ninety-one de delegates. He's, Trump has sixty-three. He's not running against anybody. Trump, Trump hasn't really yes. won anything since twenty sixteen, and, and, and the polls. But, but, but speaking of Donald Trump and his mental state, <clears throat> let's just take a little look at something else he said last night about Nikki Haley's husband, who is on a military deployment right now overseas. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. He knew. He knew. Donald, if you have something to say, don't say it behind my back. Get on a debate stage and say it to my face. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. The guy's on a military deployment. I mean, I mean, he's, he's essentially mocking his military service. Well, again, certainly I, do, I wouldn't go there myself. I mean, clearly, <laughs> but would you want I your ever do. nominee to go but, there? But I do think if you rewind the tape a little bit, what you'll see is he was talking about a visit at Mar-a-Lago that Nikki Haley had with him when she told him that there was no way that she would run against him. Look, it doesn't help, but... It's not what's moving these polls. What's moving these polls is where we are in the economy, where we are in crime, where we are in immigration, where we are in the world, whether Joe Biden is mentally capable of being president or not. 
And, and this is a, an electorate that looks more like 2016 than it does 2020. Those are the facts. That's why the pre President Trump's winning in the battleground states. Um, where it's going to go, I don't know. Nobody knows. I can only look at the data that's in front of me Rachel. and call it as I see it. Uh, no, just to bring it back again to this uh, special counsel's report, I think one interesting thing to point out here is that a lot of Democrats privately feel this is self-inflicted. I yeah. mean, the president has really, um, his aides at least, have really kept him away from reporters. He's done a fraction of the press conferences, a fraction of the interviews the previous presidents have done. And there's a belief, you know, that that, because of that, people are seizing on these moments uh, where he does flub up and it's making a huge deal out of, uh, out of something. And so there is a behind the scenes effort right now to try to get him to go on the defense, to be more communicative. To go on the off, go on, or, I'm sorry, go on the offense. offense. Yeah. Oh, we talked about yeah. how I don't know got sports. A I'm a ballerina here. <laughs> and, and look, like I said, there's, there's the 10 alarm fire camp among Democrats who say we have to do something dramatic. There's nothing to be done, right? He's going to be the nominee, even if someone were to jump in right now. They couldn't get the delegates to defeat him. It would have to be on Biden to get out. That would spark a whole lot of other things. On the wake up call camp, people are saying, okay, Get, to Rachel's point, let's get a message. What Donna said, what Senator Kuhn said today, talk about age and experience in that way. Use that, use that as an advantage when you can, but don't try to convince people that he's not old, because he is. And people think it in our poll and everywhere else. Donna. Look, he's no spring chicken, all right? Drop, the, drop it. I mean, Donald Trump is not a spring chicken. Some days he thinks he's running against Barack Obama. Some days he thinks he's running against Hillary Clinton. And, and guess what? Nancy Pelosi is not Nikki Haley, okay? So let's, all right. we, we know the difference. All right, Donna, on that note, thank you all. That's all for today. Thank you for sharing part of your Super Bowl Sunday with us. Check out World News tonight. Have a great day. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.